Hello, everybody. Hallelujah. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. I am Cynthia Green, and welcome to another Thursday's evening message. Hallelujah. How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, spring is in the air. I don't know where each of you are. I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, and spring is in the air. And um, listen, I hope all is well with uh, you and your family and your household. I declare that it be so in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, God's got you. Amen. All is well in Jesus' name. So I'm delighted that you have joined us tonight. I'm so, so excited about uh, part 3B of what we started a couple of weeks ago. Um, who is Lucifer slash Satan slash the devil, et cetera, et cetera. Amen. Um, so I don't want to delay any longer. We're going to dive right in because we've got a lot of information to uh, share with you on this evening. Uh, dear Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for another opportunity to speak to thy people. We ask that you anoint their ears to hear what you have to say to them on tonight. That they open up their hearts to receive you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And we declare in Jesus' name that your word will not return void because that's what your word says. And because you said it, we believe it. Hallelujah. Anoint my voice. Uh, think through my mind, speak through my mouth, none of me, absolutely all of you, Lord. This is your word. This is your message. We submit to your will and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, everybody. Praise God. We're going to dive right in. We're still on the series. And I think we're going to be on the series for quite some time, tying it all together. Um, our last session, oh, you know what? I just realized I forgot to touch my microphone. So give me a moment here. There we go. Um, our last session, we began looking at who Satan is and where he came from. Uh, we discussed that Satan is an influencer, but his fall from heaven corrupted the wisdom that was given to him by God. So we're kind of just doing a, just a brief recap. Um, if you haven't already, you gotta go back and listen to parts one, two, and three A. Amen, catch up with us. We also discussed in our last session that Lucifer chose not to love and to serve God, but instead his desire was to be equal with God. He, was, he made the decision to place uh, love of himself over the love of God. After being kicked out of heaven and from the presence of God, Lucifer is now known by many different names. Beelzebub, which means the enemy, Satan, devil, Belial. A third of the angels went with him um, that were kicked out of heaven as well. Um, 
and and no longer angels they're demonic beings now okay he is the accuser the evil one the tempter the old snake the great dragon the prince of this world and the god of this world little g who seeks whose goal he seeks to hinder the establishment of god's kingdom that's being set up through the life death and resurrection of jesus christ that's what he's wanting uh, to hinder he's wanting to hinder god's ultimate plan and we discussed what God's plan is in, in, in uh, part one, amen? So Satan no longer possesses the wisdom of God. This is important for believers to know and to understand. Uh, you know, I personally think that uh, church folks especially give often give Satan too much credit regarding the power that he has. You know, we talk about, you know, uh, the devil ain't no joke. The devil this, the devil that. Well, we're going to look at all that tonight. I think we're giving him way too much credit uh, that he does not deserve. He does have powers of influence, manipulation, and control if submitted to. But we want to be careful not to give the devil attributes or abilities that only belong to God. So let's look at what the Bible says about the limitations of the devil. Amen. So number one, he's not the opposite of God in terms of evil versus good as if he's equal to God. Though he would like people to think so, he is not the opposite of God. God is all powerful. And when I say the opposite of God, I mean here on earth. I, um, some, he, Satan would like people to think that he has the same powers that God has in heaven and on earth. Satan has those powers on earth. Not true. God is all powerful. He's everywhere present. He's all knowing. Satan is none of those things. He does not have unlimited power like our sovereign God. He cannot be everywhere at once at the same time. And he does not know everything. Remember, he no longer possesses uh, or uh, has the ability to access the wisdom of God. He is a created and limited being. He depends on God for his existence. Amen. Number two, limitation. He approaches God as a subordinate, not as an equal. Remember Job 1.6, when Satan approached God, he didn't come as an equal, but rather as a subordinate. He says, uh, Job 1.6 says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Yeah, sons of God. Uh, he's a subordinate. He didn't come showing up as an equal with God. Number three, third, uh, three limitation. He cannot tempt without God's permission. Satan was unable to tempt Jesus without the permission of the Holy Spirit. Remember Matthews 4, 1, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. So that temptation that occurred in the wilderness between him and Jesus, the Holy Spirit gave him permission to do that. Number four, he also could not tempt Job without God's permission. Job 1.12 tells us, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your power is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He needed God's permission to touch one of his own. He cannot physically harm without God's permission. So when Satan wanted to physically harm Job, he had to first ask God's permission. Uh, Job 2, uh, second chapter, verse 2 through 6, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. Blameless, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. So even here, God is saying, yeah, you've been, you, you've been trying to influence him against me, but yet he has remained steadfast in serving me. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that people have, they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power. Had to have God's permission. Number six, he cannot kill without God's permission. And we're talking about physical death here. Satan cannot take a human life without first getting God's permission. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power. Talking again about Job 2.6, only spare his life. So he said, yep, he's, he can be under your control. You can do, you can you can do what you want to do, not under his control. You can touch his life, touch his body, bring sickness and disease, but you can't kill him. Amen. Let's go on. Now the Bible does say that Satan has the power of death. Um, Hebrews 2.14. Let's talk about uh, the power of death. Since the children, uh, this is in Hebrews uh, 2.14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He's talking about Jesus here, sharing in our humanity. So that by his death, meaning Jesus' death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So the devil does have the power of death, but he can only physically bring death on us, uh, uh, um, uh, initiate death with God's permission on a child of God. Amen. However, he, oh, I just said that. I, look, I'm, sometimes I, uh, 
I speak ahead of my notes. <laughs> so I'm going to read my note. It says, however, this does not mean that he has the ultimate authority to cause people to die physically. Only God has that authority. And Acts 17, 26 also confirms that. Okay, so let's look at number seven. Satan cannot touch at all without God's permission. Uh, he cannot touch a believer without the permission of God. And Satan even complained to the Lord about that. So let's look at Job 1.10. It says, have you not put, this is Satan talking to, to God. Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So Satan's complaining about the fact that, uh, you know, he can't, he can't touch, he can't touch uh, the believer of God because God has placed a fence around each believer, protecting them, protecting us from the devil. Amen. Now, first uh, John 5, 18 says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. Another translation says, does not make sinning a way of life. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Amen. Yeah. Satan's powers are very limited and he can't do anything or be allowed to do anything to the believer without God's allowance or permission. Amen. Now, I know what you all think. Well, why would God give him permission? Well, that, that is a good question. And we're going to deal with that question later in the series when we're on, on a different topic. Amen. Number nine, limit, talking about the limitations of Satan's powers. Cannot force believers to do anything. You know that term, uh, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Nope. He cannot force a believer to do anything. In addition, Satan has no power unless it's granted to him by God. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ have been freed from the authority of the devil. Um, Acts 26, 18, God says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when he's telling, he's saying here that the believers, um, um, we have an inheritance. Part of our inheritance is we're no longer under the influence of Satan. And that word power, when it's referring to Satan, it's talking about his skills of manipulation his skills of influence. Uh, we're not talking about great spiritual powers like what God has. No one is like God. No one has the powers that God has. God's the creator of all being, amen? All right, so, and the 10th limitation of Satan. It's more like a characteristic, I think of them, but Number 10, Satan, I want you to hear this, and his demons are cowards. Yeah. 
James 4, 7 tells us that if we submit to the Lord and resist the devil, what will happen? The devil's going to flee. He's going to run. He's a coward. Matthews 8, 29 and Mark 5, 7 tells us that demons tremble when Jesus shows up. They recognize him. They ask him, are you going to torment, torment us before time? They tremble at the name of Jesus. They're cowards. To a believer who possesses the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the demons are a coward. Amen? Hallelujah. So without God's permission, Satan is not able to do anything to a child of God. He cannot create or search the human heart. Therefore, the conflict between God and Satan is not really a struggle between two great equal and opposing powers with the outcome still in doubt. No, no, no. All power and authority belongs to God. And like we said in our last session, the war is already won. And even Satan himself knows that he's the loser. Amen? Amen. All right. So, um, and, and I know I, I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me now. Some of you may be sitting out there saying, well, if God, if, if, you know, all good things come from God and, you know, I'm going through, you know, some, some bad stuff or I've been through some bad stuff. Isn't that the power of the devil? We're going to talk about that. We're going to address that. Not in this, I, I can't address it in this particular topic, but that is on the agenda. Why do the believers of God go through? Why do bad things happen? to the believers of Jesus. We're gonna talk about that, amen? All right, so now that we understand Satan's limitations, we're gonna pick up from where we left off in our last session, which was the Garden of Eden. Satan, uh, Satan has been cast out of heaven and um, he's in the garden. And as a result of what occurred in the Garden of Eden, Eve, giving in to the temptation of the serpent, what happens is both the serpent and Eve, along with Adam, were cursed. Uh, the earth was cursed. Adam and Eve disobeyed a direct commandment from God through the temptation of sin. And it was at that moment that sin and death entered the world at that time. That single act of disobedience by eating from the, the, the tree that God told them not to eat from, that single act of disobedience by God, by Adam and Eve, disturbed, interrupted, stopped the relationship with God in everything and everyone. That single act of disobedience separated mankind from God. It killed the relationship between man and God. Yeah. So when you talk, when it talks about sin and death, that death is a spiritual death. It's talking about, it, it, now it did cause the physical death as well because 
you know, when Adam and Eve were first created, uh, the design was, um, remember, they didn't even know that they were naked. They were in spiritual, they were in fleshly bodies, but immortal bodies at the time. Yeah. So before the curse, their bodies were immortal. Mankind was even at that time before the fall of man was designed to live eternally. So no, not even a physical death. So that one single act of disobedience brought on physical death and it brought on spiritual death, separation from God, mankind's separation from God. Remember in Genesis, the second chapter and the 18th verse, God told Adam, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. He told him, told him, don't do it. And he told him, what would happen if you do do it? One, that was the only command. That was the only law that Adam and Eve had to keep. Yeah. Now, Numbers 23rd chapter, the 19th verse tells us that God is not a man that he should lie. So if, it, if he says it, it, it shall be done. Amen. So death um, enters the world, both spiritually and physically. And I do want you to keep in mind, because uh, what I'm getting ready to talk about now is Lord God, open up your hearts and open up your ears so that you can hear. This is so important. Okay. So death, we, I want you to keep in your mind in the spiritual realm means separation from God, no relationship with God. That's what spirit, uh, death is when, it, in the, when you read that in the Bible, uh, in the Bible, when it talks about sin and death. A lot of times I think people just think of it as physical death, but more importantly, even than the physical death, because we're all doomed to die physically now as a result of that, that single disobedience act. But more importantly, is the spiritual death separated from God. Now, keep in mind, God loves mankind. He loves us and he wants us on our team. He wants us to be a part of his heavenly family, both here and eternally. That's why he created man in, in the first place, like we talked about in part one. Amen. Now, for the believer, he stands as an accuser. Uh, excuse me. For the believer, Satan stands as an accuser. He's always trying to prove to God and influence the unbeliever. The, excuse me. I'm going to go back and say that again. In the life of a believer, Satan stands as an accuser. Okay. He's always trying to prove to God and influence us believers of Christ that in spite of Jesus' blood, that we still are not worthy of salvation. Now, for the unbeliever of Christ, Satan is the enemy of God. And he wants the unbeliever to remain on his side as an enemy of God. 
He wants God's most precious creation to remain God's enemy. That's what he wants for the unbeliever. Now, why do I say remain? Because of that single act of disobedience from our first parents, all mankind are born with a sinful nature. That nature makes us enemies of God. That nature deserves eternal spiritual death. It deserves separation from God. Sin nature. So um, let's look at Psalms 51. I'm going to read, read this from the ESV version. And it's Psalms 51 and verse number five. And it says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Another translation says, I was brought forth in a state of wickedness. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Now in sin, sin here, it's not a verb. So it's not talking about actions or works. It's a noun in this, it says, and in sin, my mother conceived me, is what that verse says. Now it's not, so it's not saying that our mothers conceived us be, uh, in sin because they were sinning. No, he's, the now in sin is we're born with that sin nature, the nature of sin, the nature of the serpent. Every last one of us, as a result of that, sick, that single disobedient act of our first parents. You following me? Now, listen very carefully. I found this quite interesting. In fact, the Lord woke me up. I didn't even have this part in my message, uh, prepared for my message today. And I woke up this morning at four o'clock this morning. And I mean, when I say woke up, I'm bright eyed, wide awake. And the first thing I said, you know, Lord, okay, why you got me up? What, what, what is it? And, you know, I, I, some of, you know, some of you who may be watching or listening that may be an unbeliever. Yeah. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He guides us. He gives us directions. Amen. And he started speaking to me and I, Went and got my laptop, oh, you know, sat at my desk and started typing. And here's what he gave me for this morning. I found it quite interesting. It said, so sin reigned, death reigned, R-E-I-G-N-E-D, from Adam until Moses. Why? Well, listen to this. There were no laws or commands given to Adam and Eve or mankind until the laws of God were given to Moses. So after the fall, after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God gave no more laws or commands. There was none given between from the time they left the garden to the time of Moses. So during this time of what I call lawlessness, because there were no laws or commands or mammoths in place, and I did some research and 
this lawlessness period was approximately 2,500 years, what it does is it gives us a clear picture of what mankind had become or has become and what a broken relationship with God looks like. Mm -mm -mm. When you read in the Bible, the accounts of man after they were banned from the garden, their sinful nature produced works and actions that definitely identifies with the influences of the devil. All kinds of stuff was going on. Uh, it was chaotic. Idolatry was rampant, uh, which is uh, the worship of or admiration of something or someone other than God. That was rampant. Everybody was doing their own thing. Isn't that the footprint of Satan? Isn't that exactly what he wanted to do? And he thought he was succeeding. I'm sure he thought he was succeeding. Now, some of you may say, why did God let this go on so long and not give commandments sooner? Well, Remember in our last session when Lucifer attempted the revolt in heaven against God and while uh, he tried to convince all of the angels that he could do a better job of running heaven and earth? Well, guess what? During that period, uh, that, that lawlessness period of time, God allowed him to do so to demonstrate what a Satan-ruled earth would look like, and it was not pretty. By God allowing this to go on, it demonstrates the sin nature of man and what that looks like without with, with, when there when there are no laws when god's standards have not been given a nature that they didn't have to be trained to commit it, it was a part of who 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 man is now amen chaotic disorderly everybody doing their own thing it was also to reveal listen here to us that it is the sin nature of man and not the actual actions or works of man that separates us from God. I'm gonna say that again. It's the sin nature of man that's the problem. It's not the sinning that's the problem. It's that sin nature. Here's the thing. Man's actions during that time were not counted against them because there were no laws in place for them to disobey. They were already sentenced to death at the time of birth. Why? Because they were born with the sin nature. That was part of the curse. Born with the sin nature and therefore death. And as a result of that curse, they had no relationship with God. That results in both physical and spiritual death. So they, were already, they already had a death sentence. 
They were born already separated from God. We are born separated from God. It is the sin nature that results in separation from God, not your actions. I'm going to say that again. It's your sin nature. And I'm talking to uh, be prior to uh, your rebirth. It is the sin nature that results in the separation from God, not your sins, sinning your actions. It's man's sin nature that has to be dealt with. The reason being is because you already, when you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, when you haven't been reborn again, when your relationship with God has not been restored, you already have a death sentence on us, on you, because of your sin nature, not because of what you do. And, I, and the reason why that's so important, and I believe the Lord gave that to me this morning, and, and I praised him for it because I had never even thought of it like this before. The reason that's so important because you have a lot of people that think, oh, I'm a good person. You know, I don't do any of the, you know, of the, the Ten Commandments. I obey all of those. You know, I, I do charity. I give to, to the poor, you know, and I mind my own it's not your actions that's the problem when, you, when you're not born again. It's the nature that you're born with. That's what has have to be dealt with. The actions or the works or the sinning or the disobedience, those are byproducts of the nature. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, a person has a tumor. Or, or starts to have pain somewhere in the body. Maybe they notice some swelling. So they go to the doctor and after uh, di and, 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 and diagnose if there's cancer in that area. Now, does the pain have to be dealt? What's the root, the root medical, uh, uh, what's the underlying or what's the root of what has to be dealt with with that medical condition, the cancer, the tumor, the pain, and all the other symptoms that come along with cancer, they're byproducts of the cancer. So if you deal with the cancer, it resolves the issues regarding those symptoms. Amen. So then they, they, you know, diagnose and, and give a plan of action of chemo because chemo deals with the cancer. Chemo doesn't, chemo doesn't deal with, chemo's not for the pain. Chemo's not for the tumor per se. Chemo is dealing with the cancer. You deal with the root, it resolves the symptoms. So it's, is the sin, your sin nature that results in separation from God. It's not what you do or don't do. Amen. Now here on the other side, the same is true for grace. And I'm not going to get into a, a, a deep study about grace today. That's coming along down the line. But the same is true for grace. 
Accepting Jesus Christ restores man's relationship back to God, thus changing your sin nature to righteousness. We experience a new birth spiritually, a new nature which results within new desires to please God. So I'm going to make this personal. I didn't become born again because my actions changed first. At the time of my conversion, my nature changed through the miraculous power, washing and cleansing of Jesus' blood. A miracle takes place when an individual is born again. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, a miracle, a spiritual miracle takes place. And in the eyes of God, you're back in relationship with him and he counts it as righteousness. You now have a righteous nature. Your nature has changed. Now, you haven't done anything to deserve it. And you haven't done anything right after you received it, amen? But it's your nature. It's the nature that has to be dealt with. Hallelujah. So as a result of the change in my nature, what starts to happen? My works, my actions, my practicings begin to change. And now they start to produce good fruit. Now, what that means is the transformation journey is now in progress. Now, here's, listen to this, especially church folks. The accuser keeps church folks focused on people's behavior. In the name of Jesus, stop that. Number one, it's not our business. Amen? This is why God says to not judge because if they have a new nature, meaning you may be looking at somebody who's born again, but they're missing the mark, you know, somewhere, or maybe they're still struggling in an area, they're counted, their nature is counted as righteous because they have, they are born again, but their behaviors are still in transformation process. Baby and immature Christians, they have the new nature. And they're so they're, but they're not going to produce full ripe fruit right away. Okay, they are still growing. Doesn't mean that they're not connected to the vine. So stop looking at people's behaviors and when they miss the mark and, and you you when you do that, you're under the influence of the accuser. You're letting the accuser influence you by look because you don't know their nature you, you think you you think you know their nature because you're looking at some actions especially from you know it could be a baby christian or someone that's still immature that's still growing and you're looking at their actions god isn't looking at the action god deals with the nature i hope i pray to god that you all are getting this so let's look in let's look at the scriptures to back me up. I don't want you to think this is my opinion. This is word. So let's look at it. Romans 5, 12 through 14. And we're going to look at the ESV version and the message version. Romans 5, 12 ESV. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, 
and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. 13. It says, for sin, again, a now, indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. 14. But yet death still reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Why? Because Adam disobeyed a direct command from God, amen, who was a type of the one who was to come. So let's look at this in the same passage uh, in the message version. It says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one is exempt from either sin or death, no one. That sin disturbed relationships with God and everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So man, even at the time until law was given, didn't even really know the extent of how far they were separated from God. It goes on to say, so death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into all this along with Satan, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it all. God loves us, but he has to show us who we are without him so that he can then come back and offer a better way, offer a gift to say, I want you back. Well, was the Jackson 5 song, I want you back? Yeah, that's what God is, through Jesus, God is saying, I want you back. Hallelujah. So Satan's influence is to keep you distracted with any and everything that will keep you from seeing and believing the truth of God's love and plan for you. And what is that? Who is that? Jesus Christ. Throughout history, the Bible reveals the many attempts of Satan's influence to destroy Israel because Satan knew that Jesus was to come from the nation of Israel, from that, from that line. His attempt through, the king, through King Herod to kill Jesus when he was born, Matthew's second chapter. And of course, God warned Joseph on what to do. God is always one step ahead of the devil. Amen? So in this type of event, down through history, it shows the spiritual warfare, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So in closing tonight, here are just a few summaries of some of the key events of this conflict. The devil's evil intentions toward the woman's unborn child evidenced themselves through Old Testament history. Instances of his hostility surfaced in Cain's murder of Abel, Genesis 4, 8. 
the corrupting of the line of Seth, Genesis 6, 1 through 12, the attempted rape of Sarah, Genesis 12, 10 through 20, and 20, 1 through 18, the rapes, attempted rape of, of Rebecca, Genesis 26, 1 through 18, Rebecca's plan to cheat Esau out of his birthright, which resulted in the open hostility of Esau against his brother Jacob, Genesis 27. The murder of the male children in Egypt, Exodus 1, 15 through 22. Attempted murders of David, 1 Samuel 18, 10 through 11. Queen Athaliah's attempt to destroy the royal seed, 2 Chronicles 22.10. Haman's attempt to slaughter the Jews, Esther 3 through 9, through the ninth chapter. And consistent attempts of the Israelites to murder their own children for sacrificial purposes, Leviticus 18.21. 2 Kings 16.3, 2 Chronicles 28.3, Psalms 106.37-38, and Ezekiel 16.20. The attack of Herod against the children of Bethlehem, Matthews 2.16, and many other incidents during Jesus' earthly life, including his temptation uh, of Jesus himself, typifies the ongoing attempt of the dragon, the accuser, the devil, Satan himself, to devour the woman's child once he was born. And the most direct attempt, of course, was the crucifixion of Christ. But as we discussed in part one of the series, due to Satan's lack of wisdom, he thought Jesus' death would destroy God's plan but in actuality, God's plan of salvation for mankind was launched at the death of Jesus Christ. Again, God is always one step ahead of the devil. Probably two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight steps. Amen. Because this plan, this entire plan, this entire situation was planned before Satan was even created, before we were created, before the beginning of time. Amen. Hallelujah. Prophecy is needed for God to demonstrate in history that Jesus Christ has the right to rule over planet Earth. And Satan, he's nothing more than a liar concerning anything, anything that he speaks about, anything that he's speaking in your ear about, it's a lie. He's the father of lies. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for your people. Thank you for your love for all mankind. By sending Jesus, we have the opportunity to come back in relationship with you. That we can, we know we don't have to settle for a death sentence. You have a life sentence waiting for anyone who's willing to accept Jesus Christ 
as their Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. And we thank you for your grace, your graciousness, your mercy, your everlasting love for all mankind. And we pray that this word goes out, pierces the hearts and the ears of the listeners. And for those that uh, have not been born again, we pray that they're making a decision right now to have their nature change and be given a license. Hallelujah. And for those that have been born again, that gives them encouragement and some understanding and, and, and some more knowledge and, and, and bring on some maturity so that they can also go out and share your wonderful message, your good news. Hallelujah. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew, hallelujah. Wow, that blessed my soul. I hope you guys got something out of this tonight. Now, if you tonight um, are currently in a state of unbelief, if you're believing anything, any doubts about God or his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, that's the influence of the devil. Don't let him keep you boggled down in reasoning and trying to figure out this or this don't make sense or well if that if, if, if this if this supposed to happen don't don't let the devil manipulate you like that that's what he's doing it's to keep you distracted from the truth it's time to simply become vulnerable to our God who loves you so much that he made arrangements to give you a life sentence instead of the deserved death sentence. You hear what I'm saying? And he's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that you can rely on. To be vulnerable is to make yourself susceptible. Open up your heart and simply trust and believe the God who created you. You just got to open up. You just got to you just got to let go of all this, uh, of all the manipulation and just open up and say, you know what, God? I don't know everything. And a lot of this don't make sense to me. But I do trust you. And I'm trusting your plan of salvation. So if you're ready to do that tonight, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I trust you. I believe your plan of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to accept him as Lord of my life. And through your word and by my faith, I know that now I am saved. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Welcome to the family of God. You're no longer that, you no longer possess a sin nature. Your nature has been changed. Don't think, of, don't think about behavior. Get that out your head. Your nature has been miraculously, spiritually changed. And God counts you as righteous. 
You no longer have a death sentence. You have a life sentence. And now the transformation process needs to begin. Your new relationship, you're, you have the opportunity now to be back in relationship with God. And you have to start a good relationship with his word so you get to know him. And it's going to be so exciting. I, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's going to lift burdens and, and lift some yoke. Doesn't mean that everything, doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that you ain't going to go through some stuff. That You got to go through some stuff to help mature you. But God is with you. He's living on the inside. Jesus is living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He will comfort you. He will, he, he will instruct you. Amen. I promise you, this is the best decision that you've ever made in your life. Welcome again to the family of God. Hallelujah. All right. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? I pray that you did. So listen, um, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to be back here in two weeks. Uh, we meet on the second and fourth Thursday of uh, each month. And so when we return, let's see, we're going to, um, now that we, we know more about the spiritual warfare, who Satan is, who God is, that, that that's kind of like the foundation of this whole situation so we're going to start now dealing with the old versus the new we're going to be talking about you know uh what you know why did god choose the children of israel and what was all that about and you know how does that tie into the plan of salvation and the old testament versus the new testament it's going to be real juicy so please come back i can't wait to see you Listen, I love you guys so much. I really, really, really do. And more importantly, God loves you. He's loving you through me. Yeah, he's loving you through me. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's loving you through Jesus. He's loving you through fellow believers. Hallelujah, he, he loves, that's why he tells us to love on each other, uh, take care of each other that are in the family of God, amen? Hallelujah, listen everybody. Have a good night, have a good weekend, and I will see you back in two weeks. Good night, everybody. Welcome to another video.